Alrighty. Okay. Hi, we are back on India Game Changer. I am Michael Waits, and today we have Dr. Chaitra Anand, the founder of Cosmordena Skin, Hair, and Body Clinics, and a founder of Skin Hue Derma Cosmetics. Thank you so Hi, much. Michael. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. How are you? Hey, I'm great, Michael, and thank you for having me on your show. It is my complete pleasure. Before we jump into sort of the main part of this conversation, can we get some of your background for some context? Sure. Well, let's see. I've been a dermatologist now for over 20 years, and I trained between here in India and in England and in the US. Um, and now I primarily practice in India. And I also formulate skincare products, which I started uh, more than a decade ago. Oh, wow. And yeah, and I primarily work with a lot of skin of color patients or melanin rich patients, as we call them. And so that's my primary area of of expertise today and also facial glamorization as I like to call it and I'm very bullish about education so I also train doctors not just in India but globally on the whole cosmetic dermatology and aesthetic medicine front and I also work with the government for a lot of uh, initiatives in this field. Do you come from a family of doctors or are you one of those people that's like you're the first doctor in the family? Yeah, in my immediate family, no, my parents are not doctors, but on my mom and dad's side, they have siblings who are doctors, right. but they all live in different regions. So I wasn't exposed to the medical world when I was growing up, no. So my brother's a neurosurgeon and his wife is a reconstructive plastic surgeon, right? So like if someone gets their fingers cut off, she'll replace them or put them back mm -hmm. on. And when their kids were little, they had a refrigerator in their garage. And on the right side of the refrigerator, it was just a refrigerator, no freeze, right? On the right side of the refrigerator was like Coca-Cola and Sprite and stuff like that. And on the left-hand side, there was wine, beer, and some other kind of stuff. And the kids, because both of their parents were doctors, just figured all adults are doctors. <laughs> they would say the right side of the refrigerator is for kids and the left side is for doctors. It just always made me laugh. <laughs> but it's amazing how kids pick up on these things, Isn't right? It? Yeah, it is. Like my son has an uncanny knowledge of skincare. Oh, sure he does. Yeah, he's seven years old, but you know, he knows that people have to use sunscreen all the time. And then if he sees people with skin concerns, he'll actually try and make a diagnosis for them and say, you know, you should use these creams. My mom makes these creams. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. He's already in sales. It's so great. Yeah. So what made you what made you go into dermatology as opposed to some other kind of doctoring? accident actually it really was accidental so you know I finished med school and I realized that I really didn't want to be in med school anymore I actually wanted to do stuff with more beauty and aesthetics and stuff like that and one of the things I realized was that way back in 98 um, 99 India didn't really have like spas and I wanted to bring spa therapies back to India and you know upgrade beauty salons in India and stuff like that right. and it's only because I always loved beauty stuff and I always felt that there was not enough good places so let me open my own so I actually went to London to discover along these lines and to do a few business courses right and there I discovered a whole field of aesthetic medicine and cosmetic dermatology because it was very nascent to India and that's where I fell in love with that whole field and I said oh I have my medical background so let me do this and that's when I wrote my exams got into derm school and finished dermatology so I've lived outside of my home country for 30 something years 
right? So I'm very, I feel very disconnected to what's going on there, right? So my entire surrounding has been in Asia and Asian people, Indian people, they're just different than the people with whom I grew up, grew up right? You said you yeah. went to London and to be fair enough, there is a pretty good Indian population in London, but I presume that most of the teaching in the dermatology space and the aesthetic space is for people with like less, as you call them, less melanin rich patients, right? That is true. So, so, you know, can you talk to me yeah. about the difference just so people can get a real sense of what that is and then how to address that when you get home? Because what you've been educated to do and that what you need to do are two different things. Yeah. That is true. That's a great question, actually. Beautiful point to make. But it's true, right? I mean, even till today, you'll be amazed. But skin of color or melanin rich skin, as we call it, is two thirds of the world's population, right? 65%. But how many people are actually catering to it? Maybe 6% to 7% of the companies. That's it. The rest of all the skincare, all of the research, everything even till today is really primarily on other skin types, which is Caucasian and some amount of Asian skincare in there. So when I went in 99, 98, 99, I didn't even understand that there was a concept called skin of color right. or melanin skin. So dermatology is dermatology, right? Skin condition is a skin condition. There's a disease, there's a treatment, etc. And when you go a little bit more into the aesthetic dermatology side, that's when you realize that the way each skin responds is completely different. And we knew this, and I still remember, I'll tell you a story now. When I was in Durham School in London, there was the um, meeting of the British Association of Dermatologists, and they had a very small segment on aesthetics because in the dermatology world, they frowned down on aesthetics for a long time because, you know, they feel like it's not real medicine in some yeah. ways. They're not solving for a disease. But we are, we're solving for mental well-being, which itself is a big disease in itself. And now there's enough studies to prove you, you look good, you feel good, et cetera. But coming back to the point, the panel was made of primarily Caucasian doctors. I mean, all of them were Caucasian in origin. And the topic was pigmentation. Right. And I remember one of my classmates who um, is from the Caribbean, she asked that, what is the latest on pigmentation? How can you solve for you know, dark patches, because you're saying use lasers at such high settings, what would happen if we had a reaction? So the doctor goes, oh, but you're already dark. And if you're darker, how does it matter? Oh so, really? yeah, really. So this was the understanding way back, right? And there was nobody talking about melanin rich and skin of color and stuff. There was no representation for that. And it's only in the last decade that you'll see that people are becoming more aware and in India itself people are still starting to wake up to the idea that hey my skin is different I actually have to use skincare made for my skin type we're still running behind oh this comes from Paris oh this comes from London oh this comes from US this from Korea etc so I think the knowledge percolation is happening now we have a skin of color society an international skin of color society finally to represent dermatologists who practice with skin of color patients primarily so it's changing but you know so i never even thought about it at that time can you make another point for me if melanin itself is some kind of chemical compound mm -hmm. then whether it's aesthetic skincare or pure dermatological skincare right the stuff you're putting on your face that's going to react to it, or, or even your arms or, or your legs or wherever you're putting that, those chemicals on, it's going to have a different reaction just because the chemical makeup of your skin is different. Is that fair? Very well put, actually. It's true. The reason is, 
our skin cells. For every 10 healthy cells, we have one pigment cell. And whenever skin is stimulated, it could be in a good way or it could be because of inflammation from a disease, even the pigment cell gets stimulated. So that means it's going to produce more pigment. So you'll see that a lot of people will have pigment patches left on their skin in darker skin types after the disease is gone. And that actually presents a lot more trauma. So when we talk about diseases, the primary modality of the disease itself is similar across, be it Caucasian skin or Asian or Indian or melanin rich. But the sequelae, the post-op is very different because the disease is gone, but the scarring it leaves behind stays on for a longer period of time. So when we treat enough color patients, first we'll treat them to get rid of the disease, but concurrently or concurrently, we will be actually treating them to make sure that the scarring is not there or it reduces faster. So when you get back from London and you come back to India, you're looking at a landscape that essentially, I'm going to generalize just to make the point, but it essentially has no specific products that were specifically made for basically Indian skin, right? So it looks like this massive opportunity to you. Can you just talk a little bit or maybe a lot, as much as you want, really about like how you figured that out, but then how you innovate and use science to kind of solve those problems? Because I think that's key to this, right? Because there have been hundreds of years of science solving the problem for the 33% of the 34% of the population that already has skincare products that were built specifically for them. What did you have to do from an innovation and a scientific standpoint to kind of start addressing this problem? Great question, Michael. So when I first came back, I realized people didn't even understand why their skin did what it did. Right. And, you know, they just would look at it after the problem. And I had to actually look at it in terms of like, prevention rather than curative. That was my first shift because it's so much easier to prevent it rather than to try and cure it because there's not a cure for a lot of things. And, you know, not even just products, even laser equipments that we deal with in our skin. The R&D, there were no manuals that spoke about what kind of um, settings or what kind of energy levels we could use on a laser on skin of color patients versus Caucasian patients. So what would happen is we would get all of these research data publications, but all the trials were on lighter skin tones. And we would translate that to Indian skin tone and immediately a patient would get a burn or they would get a post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. So we had to rewrite a lot of the protocols here. And that's how I actually started reaching out to the laser companies and saying, hey, you need to do some trials on Indian skin too. We need our own protocols. We cannot translate these protocols. Then they came back and saying, can you help us do that? Because we don't have such a diaspora where our companies are based. So if you can help us out. And so that was my first company that I started after my clinics, where we started helping laser companies to do research um, on data in Indian skin and rewrite the protocols for all these laser companies coming into India. Then came the skincare problems. So we have the prescriptive variety where we have a lot of skincare problems, but the problem was non-prescriptive, right? What do you do for patients who are not coming into the clinics but who are buying stuff outside of the shop? Then we had to look at how can we innovate so that it has efficacy for the skin but it's not prescriptive so that we can be in the OTC segment. So we did a lot of trials, errors, and you know worked with our own patient bases, got people into the trials, everything. But the fundamental was 
all about how do we suppress that pigmentation at all times so that it doesn't flare up. And that's how we were able to innovate on all of these, work on a few novel molecules. But mainly, it was a novel combination of existing molecules in the optimum percentages. So I think the biggest problem for startups, right, or early stage businesses, people always say capital and this, that, and the other thing. And I don't really believe that. I think the biggest problem is discovery. How do people even know you're there, right? Because you're operating in a vacuum. And also you're right. competing, if you don't mind me saying, you're competing against these massive European and American companies with huge, huge advertising budgets that kind of block out everything else. How did you create this ability to get discovered and then convince people that you don't need to buy this fancy French brand, for lack of a better term, but you should buy this because it's been created specifically for you? Because I'm a practicing dermatologist, yeah. I do a chain of clinics. So we first started giving it to the patients in our own clinics. Right. And they were like, oh, my God, this product feels so great. Oh, are you saying I only need to use one product instead of the three that I've been using right. and stuff like that? And getting them to believe in it itself was first step. And when we saw that and we saw that, you know, people were now not just the first purchase but they were constantly repeatedly using the product and buying it and then starting to recommend it to their friends and family etc we realized that this is something that's going to stick and click and then it was really getting it in the market so it's not about just the budget that big marketing companies have from us but even indian brands there are some huge indian d2 brands which are very well funded right and they all have marketing dollars so how do you compete we had to raise our own um, round of funding for the marketing because the acquisition on the online platforms is way higher than if it is on the offline platform for us. Then decided we're going to do a three-step program for us. So now we retail through dermatology offices, select dermatology offices, which cater to aesthetic dermatology. Right. Then also in the online space, but we're also at salons in India. Because in if you look at the life cycle of aesthetics, right, people usually go to the salons, then they go to the hair salons, then they do their nails, then they do the microblading and the eyebrows, then they move into the dermatology offices for the aesthetic work, right? Somebody who comes to me is not somebody who doesn't visit a salon. They're always got immaculate nails, immaculate hair, Cetera in place because I'm an aesthetic, right? I'm an aesthetic dermatologist. So I realized that a larger population of India actually sitting in the salon space for us rather than even in the derm offices because these are people who already have concerns. They're tending to one concern. They've still not gone towards the skin side. They're just doing some facials. But what if we could give them products that would actually solve for the mild and moderate concerns in the salons itself? So we actually innovated and gave many facial kits to salons. And then we ups upskilled their own estheticians to go to the next level to give out our products. So this is how we're innovating so that without large capital, we can foray. We talk a lot about financial inclusion in some of the other shows that I do in financial literacy, but here you're talking really about skin literacy and skin inclusion. I mean, it's not that far off from the same topic, right? But what that requires to get to literacy, you have to have education. Can you just dig a little bit deeper into this idea? Because going to a salon and sort of negotiating with them to get the products there is great. But I mean, I've been in hundreds of haircutting salons and I'm like, do I buy that or do I just buy the thing that I've always been buying kind of thing, right? So how do you handle that education? Not just... And it's twofold, right? Because you have to educate the doctors, the dermatologists that are doing it, but also educate the clients and the customers that are doing it too. Like you said, their nails already look great. They've already done this. How do you convince them now to do this? Correct. Right. 
Yeah, great question again. So what we do is basically we actually start training even the estheticians and the hairstylists at the salon levels. So we equip wow. them with knowledge on. So, you know, if we break it down, even though there's hundreds of skin concerns, we break it down into the three primary concerns, which is really for every person with skin of color, hyperpigmentation or blotchy skin is a yeah. big problem right uneven skin tone so that's the primary then we have acne as a second problem the third peg is dry skin so we train them on all of these give them a basic training module to make them understand what can be taken care of with skin care and what really needs to be referred to a dermatology office and then we help them to select the products etc but like you said it takes time right yeah this kind of education so we actually wrote a AI program, which helps where they can just use their mobile phones and then they can take a selfie and then they can choose three problem areas because we can do about eight. So we've limited it to three problem areas. So they can choose what are the top three concerns they have. And then the AI will actually make a deduction and then give them a recommendation as to what is the skincare regimen that needs to be. And also an explanation as to what is happening in their skin at that moment, what their condition is. So that way we've been able to enable stylists and therapists at the salon floor. With the dermatology offices, with the training, yeah, it's not just training. I think it's a little bit about retraining because, you know, when you're thinking disease, 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 and then in comes this whole aesthetic dermatology, you have to use another kind of a track to really think about it. Yeah. So we're trying to get them to say, hey, sure, they have these problems you're solving with a prescription, but what's the supportive care? Think of the support because once you've treated them, they're still going to need support. So getting them to understand that side of it, more on the patient empathy side of education is what we've been doing on the dermatology offices side. But this is what's helped us. When did you roll out the AI stuff? Uh, it's been about nine months now. Did you feel like when ChatGPT, which is, you're not using large language models, right? But again, it just, it kind of forced people to think about artificial intelligence at scale. Did you feel a change in the market when these LLMs started coming out and people said, okay, there is actually a real use for AI and I can actually trust it at some level. Did you feel a change in the market that you were addressing as well and thought, okay, now is the right time to roll this out? No, actually not. Because a lot of people seem to be more concerned that um, the AI will replace them or that AI will destroy humanity. I think that's more of the sentiment at the floor level, because even when to get people to adapt to it, yep. they were like, oh, but if the AI is doing it, what do you need us for kind of thing, right? So we were like, no, it's just enabling you. It's not replacing you. So we had to address those points. I wanted to get that question answered in a completely different domain than the one okay. in which I usually operate. Because whether right. it's insurance or bankers or whatever kind of financial stuff we're talking about, a lot of people are afraid of artificial intelligence replacing them. But I've seen many of these technological cycles. And in no place have I seen technology that's really efficient come in and completely replace people. It's empowered them and made them better at their jobs, to be fair. And the, and the guys and gals that were really good ended up being greater with the tech. And the people that weren't that good at their jobs anyway didn't know how to use it. They needed to be replaced anyway, to be fair. So I don't think it's going to replace people at scale. I agree with you too. I don't think so. I think it's just how you learn. Like, you know, when computers came, people thought they'll get replaced, but it just made us move faster. And I think we'll adapt to a lot more things um, sure. and we'll get better at things because we're going to upskill ourselves. And that's what it really is about. So how do you think skin health plays a role in success or failure? Sure. Michael, life is really fast paced, right? 
And it's like, think back 15 years ago, you're right. You'd catch up with a friend or you'd just go in and then you'd chat up with people and you'd spend time over a drink or a cup of coffee. Today, it's really fast paced. Even taking out time for the closest friend for a coffee or a drink seems so much harder in our schedules. Yeah. So paucity of time. Our brain is inanely in tuned to make deductions of what is in front of us in under three seconds. So first impression, that's what I'm talking about. So yeah. we make our first impression subconsciously in under three seconds. From the age of six months, a baby's brain also does the same. And it has to do with symmetry, with angles, yeah. light reflection, etc. And what is that? That is health of your skin, right? Now, think about it. What can you see in three seconds that's going to make you say, hey, this person warrants more time and what is going to say, mm, not so happy with this person. And there are studies now that prove that this is the truth. So skin and your hair, literally, it's what you see. And what do you see? You see their face, right? That's what you're seeing. So whatever is on their face is the first impression. Now, if I don't know somebody standing at a bar or even let's say I'm standing at an airport and I don't know somebody, but if somebody is pleasant and seems trustworthy to my brain in three seconds, I'm more likely to say a hi or smile at them. As opposed to someone who didn't make a favorable impression, I'm going to literally turn my body away and walk in the opposite direction. The same thing happens to us through our lives. So there are studies that show that kids gravitate to better looking teachers. Teachers gravitate to better looking kids, right? Similarly, at work, right? People who are better looking. And it's not about good looks. It's about the health of the skin. Now, when we say better looking, we're talking about clarity of skin, even skin tone, radiance. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about supermodel looks, right? Because Otherwise, no one would talk to me ever. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but you know, most supermodels have horribly bad skin. And without the Photoshop and makeup, they don't look like who they are. Most times, you won't even recognize them For face sure. to face. Yeah. So with the actors I treat, a lot of times, if they've walked in through my waiting room, nobody knows who they are. Nobody recognizes them, right? Yeah. And only after some time, they're like, what's the was that? No, 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 no. That's the kind of reaction they have. Yeah. And later, it's like, oh my God, was that that person? I hardly recognize them. They look so different from the screen. And you're like, yeah, because, you know, there's no Photoshop here. So that's what it really is. And so if you've got healthy skin, which is radiating, glowing, a person looks at you and says, ah, there's health, there's vitality. This is a person who takes care of themselves, more likely to be trustworthy. Someone who has blemishes, marks, etc. that's a negative attribute. So automatically, subconsciously, your brain is putting lesser percentage to them. So that's why it plays a big role. Can you tell me, or can you think about this a little bit? I want to go again back to London and then coming back to India. Was there a moment where you had this realization, like, I think I'm onto something here? Like no one's done this before yet. And of course it wasn't like one day, but maybe like a period of time over a six month period of time, we feel like the market's reacting to this. The clinics are reacting to this. The salons are reacting to this. I think I'm onto something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it does. I mean, it took a while for that to happen. Not even six months. Like I did it and it took many, many years for people to see it. I think I was way ahead um, before they even realized what I was. But in the last six months, 
people are like, whoa, what is it that you're doing? And what is this creation that you're created? And what is so differentiated? Wow, okay, there is something to this kind of thing. But for the longest time, people are like, so what? What's the big deal? What <laughs> happens if I put this? What happens if I do that kind of thing? But now I can see that like people are like sitting up, taking notice, and it's getting its due credit. And I think this is just the start. And, you know, also, I think COVID in a way uh, was an adapter to many people because many people went and read up and a lot of them enhanced their knowledge. I think a lot of knowledge download happened through yeah. all these social media sites and everything that people were consuming. And they became aware about their own skin, their own health, and health became a priority. It wasn't like, what do you want to be? I want to be rich and successful. No, it was like, I want to be healthy and I want to be fit. Those words started coming out. And I think so that adaption plus understanding there's something already there for you, for your specificity, that's definitely led to this. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I ask that question is because I like to say often that everyone's an overnight success 10 years later, right? Everyone thinks like it's going to happen immediately and it doesn't. So I just wanted yeah. someone to say that explicitly. Exactly. You're so right. Everybody looks and says, wow, fantastic, because I launched this company and then two years in, we're doing so well. I'm like, yes, but I launched two years ago, but I worked on this for the last 14 years right. and it took me seven years to stabilize my sunscreen formulation, which is one of our best sellers, right? Because like I innovated sunscreen so that it actually protects skin from tanning because long-term tanning leads to pigmentation right and we're the only sunscreen today in the world that can claim that we actually reduce your tan and break your pigmentation up extra pigmentation when you're using a sunscreen so that innovation took me seven years but nobody realizes that yeah can i tell you another funny anecdote that i've heard recently please and whether it's true or not it's still an interesting parable the story goes something like this Picasso was sitting in, Pablo Picasso was sitting in a coffee shop somewhere in Spain. And he was just like with a pencil, just like doodling in his 90s. Yeah, because I think he lived late in life. He was just doodling on a napkin. And kind of when he was done with his coffee, he had this little picture on his napkin. And he was like, mm, okay. And he just crumpled it up and put it into his pocket. Mm. And a woman walked over to him, noting that he was Picasso and said, if you're just going to crumple that up and put it in your pocket, can I have it? And he said, absolutely, I'll give it to you for $25,000. And she said to him, it only took you like 60 seconds to draw. And he said exactly what you said. I've been working on this for 85 years. Yeah. 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 That's the thing that I think I want people to understand about this is like, and I love the wording that you used. It took me seven years to get my sunscreen's formula to be stable. Like, so you had an idea, you were close, but just getting it to be consistent and stable the whole time, I think is really important. And maybe you want to talk about this too, this idea of like consistency and having a plan around what your skin is supposed to look like. If you can talk about that a little bit too, because it's not just having a great product, right? Yeah, no, it isn't. And it's never, nothing is instantaneous, right? I mean, yeah. everything has an effort. Like I tell people having good skin is actually really easy. All you need are good products, which are the right fit. So it's the right regimen, good products, and consistency. Yeah. That's the three pegs to having good, healthy skin. Nothing else. Now, what about the products, right? The product has to be the right regimen for your skincare. Just because it works for my friend doesn't mean it's going to work for me. Right. Right. 
And then consistency and time. Why? Because the skin cycle, the immediate skin cycle is a 28-day cycle, but the long-term cycle is a three-month cycle. Okay. So I always tell all my patients, three months, that's the minimum time you need to give for something to take noticeable effects on right. your skin. Right. You may have like a feel, right? You might feel that my skin feels better when I wake up up in the morning oh i think it's glowing but for people to look and say hey your skin's looking really great what have you been up to it's going to take three months but do we have the patience no we put it on tonight we wake up tomorrow look in the mirror and say oh nothing <laughs> no that's what we say oh nothing's changed so when we did our skincare range right at skin q that's one of the things we did we did something for instant results and we did something for long-term results because I understood the psyche of people for a long time. Everybody would say, sure, but how long do I have to use it? At least if I could see some result. So the way we formulated our skincare was that even with the first use, you'll start feeling a smoothness to your skin. You'll start feeling something, right? The palpable. But the visual takes time. But at least palpably, you felt it. Now you wait to see it. If I don't give that, then what happens? They lose patience. Yeah, I mean, I think this is true in every part of life, right? I think it was at the beginning of 2021, I was a lot heavier than I wanted to be. And I was like, okay, look, I'm committed to getting back into shape. And like, you're right, on day one, you go for a run, you come back and you weigh yourself and you're just like, I weigh the same thing. <laughs> like it didn't do anything, but it's an unrealistic expectation. I think it gets back into this psyche that you were talking about earlier, about I don't even have time for coffee with my best friends, right? Because everything moves so fast. But I will say this, three months later, I'd lost like five kilos. But if you don't Nine. keep going... And don't stay committed to it. And that's why I wanted you to talk about it from a skincare perspective as well. Because, you know, I made the joke as you were speaking that, like, I put it on, I wake up in the morning, I'm gorgeous. It's never going to happen, right? Never. Never. Nothing is instantaneous. And no. whatever is instantaneous is just passing. Before I let you go, can you talk about why you think it's important to maintain a blog and be on Instagram? Like, what is the point of putting all that information out there? And what do you think the reaction is to it? Education, really. I mean, I read a lot. I am even till today, I spend at least 30 minutes a day reading if I can. If not, I make sure that I get at least four hours of reading every week. That's that's my minimum. And, you know, I accumulate a lot of knowledge and I would love to share that knowledge with people because knowledge is power. And once you're knowledgeable with the right facts, you can make decisions which will actually give you long-term benefits, yeah. right? And so that's really what it is. And if I don't talk about it as a dermatologist or, you know, as an expert in my subject matter expert, there will be a lot of other people talking about it with wrong information. Yeah. And at the end of the day, how do I combat the wrong information with the right? So I need to be there. So that's why the Instagram and, you know, the LinkedIn and all of these efforts. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point. One of the reasons why I do what I do as well is because I want to get these stories out there. Because you're right, if you don't tell your own story, someone's going to tell it for you. And the more they kind of flood the zone with mis- or disinformation, whether on purpose or not, you can't then come back later and say, this is the right thing. You've got to do the reverse first let someone try to compete with you and say that's wrong but once you're out there saying all the right stuff again consistently and persistently you've won yeah dr chaitra anin the founder of cosmordena skin hair and body clinics and a founder of skin cube derma cosmetics i cannot thank you enough for doing this i learned a lot and i had a lot of fun too thank you so much thank you michael for having me i had a lot of fun